εάν δε και προσόδιον, εις τον Θεόν ο επό εσεν, καί προσεκητσάρι σεν λιμένιος θυνού αθενέως. The Metamorphoses by Ovid Book 1 Now I shall tell of things that change. New being out of old. Since you, O gods, created mutable arts and gifts, Give me the voice to tell the shifting story of the world from its beginning to the present hour. Before land was and sea, before air and sky arched over all, all nature was all chaos, the rounded body of all things in one, the living elements at war with lifelessness. No god, no titan shone from sky or sea. No moon, no Phoebe outgrew slanted horns and walked the night. Nor was earth poised in air. No wife of ocean reached her glittering arms into the farthest shores of reef and sand. Earth, air, water heaved and turned in darkness, No living creatures knew that land, that sea, where heat fell against cold, cold against heat. On hillside wet with blood of hunted creatures, when noon had made all shadows thin, and sun was at mid-space between his destinations, youthful Actaeon, with his fellow sportsmen, had come upon a place of desolation, and in an easy voice he spoke to them. My friends, our traps and spears are stained with blood. The hunt was good enough. The day was lucky. When swift Aurora in her golden car brings us tomorrow, there is more to do. Phoebus is halfway on his road and rakes meadow and plain with his untempered fires. Call it a day and carry home our traps. Then men obeyed him, and the chase was done. Within that region was a shaded valley, grown dense with prickly pine and cypress leaf, its name Gargafi, sacred to shelter of short-clothed Diana. Hidden within it was a cave untouched by art, yet nature's craft had simulated art, had made an arbor of moss-grown rock and delicate sandstone, and from its side bright waters gushed and glimmered into a shallow well where grass came round it. Here, when she wearied of the chase, the greenwood goddess bathed her pure limbs in streams of dew-clear waters. As on this day she came, she dropped her javelin, her unstrung bow, her quiver to the safe-keeping of her true maid-at-arms. Another girl picked up the cloak that she let fall. Two more undid the sandals from her feet. Then... Crocale of Thebes, more artful than the rest, caught up Diana's fallen hair in a swift knot, leaving her own hair tossing to the wind. Meanwhile, Nephele, Hyali, and Ranis, Sikas, and Fiale poured silver-quick streams of pure waters from enormous urns. But as Diana bathed, and fate would have it, Actaeon, Cadmus's grandson, at his leisure, strolling through unknown ways, 
Hop stumbled into Diana's arbor. As he stepped through the raining fountain spray that fell around him, Diana's naked girls beat their small breasts and filled the cave with sharp falsetto cries and tried to shield her with their nakedness. They gathered round Diana in a circle, yet the tall goddess stood head high above them, flushed as the clouds at sunset or rose-coloured as the first hour at dawn, Diana seemed more naked to the view than all the rest. Then, as her girls closed in the ring around her, she glanced a sidelong look across her shoulder as though she wished her arrows were at hand. But failing these, splashed water sharp as rain in Actaeon's face, and through his streaming hair foretold his fate. If you can talk, then speak. Say that you saw Diana in undress. And as she spoke, his wet hair branched in antlers worn by the lively stag. His neck grew long, ears pointed, hands were hooves, arms were thin legs, and all his body a short-furred spotted skin. Diana also placed fear in his heart. The once heroic son of Otonui ran as he wondered by what miracle he had become so swift with terror. But when he saw himself, his face, his branching antlers in a stream, he longed to say, Oh, miserable me! But had no words, nothing but animal cries, while tears ran down his changed, bewildered face. Only his mind... Weary of exile... Hating Crete, his prison, old Daedalus grew homesick for his country, far out of sight beyond his walls, the sea. Though Minas owns this island, rules the waves, the skies are open, my direction's clear. Though he commands all else on earth below, his tyranny does not control the air. So Daedalus turned his mind to subtle craft an unknown art that seemed to outwit nature. He placed a row of feathers in neat order, each longer than the one that came before it, until the feathers traced an inclined plane that cast a shadow like the ancient pipes that shepherds played, each reed another step unequal to the next. With cord and wax he fixed them smartly at one end and middle, then curved them till they looked like eagles' wings. And as he worked, boy Icarus stood near him, his brilliant face lit up by his father's skill. He played at snatching feathers from the air and sealing them with wax, nor did he know how close to danger came his lightest touch. And as the artist made his miracles, the artless boy was often in his way. At last the wings were done, and Daedalus slipped them across his shoulders for a test and flapped them cautiously to keep his balance, then for a moment glided into air. He taught his son the trick and said, Remember to fly midway, for if you dip too low, the waves will weight your wings with thick salt water, and if you fly too high, the flames of heaven will burn them from your sides. Then take your flight between the two, 
Your route is not toward Bootes, nor Heliki, nor where Orion swings his naked sword. Steer where I lead the way. With this he gave instructions how to fly, and made a pair of wings to fit the boy. Though his swift fingers were as deft as ever, the old man's face was wet with tears. He chattered more fatherly advice on how to fly. He kissed his son, and, as the future showed, this was a last farewell. Then he took off, and as a bird who drifts down from her nest instructs her young to follow her in flight, so Daedalus flapped wings to guide his son. Far off below them, some stray fisherman, attention startled from his bending rod, or a bland shepherd resting on his crook, or a dazed farmer leaning on his plough, glanced up to see the pair float through the sky, then, taking them for gods, stood still in wonder. They flew past Juno's Samos on the left, and over Delos and the Isle of Paros, and on the right lay Labinthus, Calimni, a place made famous for its wealth in honey. By this time Icarus began to feel the joy of beating wings in air, and steered his course beyond his father's lead. All the wide sky was there to tempt him as he steered toward heaven. Meanwhile the heat of sun struck at his back, and where his wings were joined, sweet-smelling fluid ran hot that once was wax. His naked arms whirled into wind, his lips, still calling out his father's name, were gulfed in the dark sea. And the unlucky man, no longer father, cried, Icarus, where are you, Icarus? Where are you hiding, Icarus, from me? Then, as he called again, his eyes discovered the boy's torn wings washed on the climbing waves. He damned his art, his wretched cleverness, rescued the body, and placed it in a tomb. And where it lies, the land's called Icarus. Book 9 Theseus, some looked on him as Neptune's son, asked why the god made moan, and why he wore a deep-cut living skull above his eyes. The river thrust lank reeds around his curls, and said, It's a sad story, hard to tell. Which one of us likes to talk about his failures? I'll tell the truth, and nothing but the truth for if one does fail, there's a touch of glory in having tried at all. The one who overthrew me had more than brutal strength, that fact, that thought, is sop to vanity. If you have heard of Deianira, then you know that of all girls, she was the beauty, she the hope of countless yearning lovers who pursued her, myself among them, to her father's house. Make me your son-in-law, Aeneas. Here's my hand, I said. Hercules said the same, and all the rest gave way to two of us. He said Jove was his father, and named the trials he suffered at the whim of a stepmother, and took them in his stride. 
Then I insisted it was a dirty crime to let a man—this was before the gods made him immortal—be given favors that a god deserved. For I am god of all the many rivers that make your kingdom green as fields in heaven. And if I take your daughter, she'll be given to someone who is not a foreigner, but one who knows each foot of land you own. It's to my credit Juno does not hate me. No trials are forced on me through her disfavor. It's true enough that you're Alcmena's son, I said to him. You say that Jove's your father, and if he is, your mother's a fine bitch, yourself a bastard or a cheerful liar. As I went on, his half-shut eyes glared at me. Then lightning fire flashed, and these few words were all he said. My hands make better speeches than my tongue. Go try to win a battle with your talk. And then he lunged at me. I'd said enough too much, nor could I turn away. So dropping my green cloak, I took my stance, fists, elbows at the level of my breast, my body taut and spare, at which he scooped up sand and showered me with it, and the yellow dust flew back and covered him. One moment he was at my throat, then snatching at my feet, then seemed to tear each muscle in my body. Yet my weight saved me. I stood as stolid as a cliff where waves eat at its sides. Quickly we had squared off, then lunged, both swift, both certain the other would give way, feet grappling feet, hands interlocked, head thrust at forehead, all my weight against him. So I've seen in battle a fat cow to the winner, bulls storm each other, and while the fight's in doubt the cattle shake with fear. Three times Hercules tried to toss me from his breast and three times failed, but at the fourth, a side-blow from his fist, he broke my grip. I'll try to tell this story as it happened. He swung me round and leaped upon my back. I do not make him stronger than he was to make myself a hero, too. It was as if a mountain came upon me. Sweat pouring from my arms, I slipped his grasp, yet he had winded me, nor time for breath before he had me at the throat and through me, teeth gritting dust, nor was I any match for him at all. I turned to my old arts, became a long-tailed snake that wheeled and rippled through his clasping fingers, but when I coiled and thrust my tongue out at him, he laughed aloud as if my magic were a foolish art.